We're in Hebrews chapter 2. Keep in mind that Hebrews does not name the author. Unbroken tradition through the centuries has given the author as the Apostle Paul, but not everyone sees it like that. Others believe Barnabas wrote it, or Luke, or someone else. It seems to have evidence that it was a Pauline epistle. Anyway, it is addressed to the Hebrews. If you look in, in uh, some of the scriptures in Hebrews, it seems to suggest that it's being written to Hebrew Christians, or those who have at least professed faith in Christ, and it's written lest they have a desire to turn back to the old Jewish law. Now, among Christians today, even though we know we're saved by grace through faith, sometimes because it is necessary for preachers to preach on Christian living and standards and so on, some people get the idea that you're saved by your works, which is not true at all. We're saved by grace through faith. However, after we're saved, we need to live the godly life. And the scripture is so full of that. But in Hebrews chapter 2, the subject of this chapter is Jesus is the captain of our salvation. The subject of chapter 1, Jesus is better than the prophets, and Jesus is better than the angels. We come to chapter 2, the theme seems to be who Jesus is and what did he come to do. Let me read some of it. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense or reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Now the thought here, is the purpose of the Word of God. This is a severe warning. Now the warning is not that we might go to hell. The warning has to do with neglecting this great salvation. Now sometimes that text in verse 3 has been used as a text to warn people about the eternity without God. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? I think there's a principle there and it is a warning to people to not neglect to come to Christ, but in its context, it's talking about believers neglecting this great salvation, neglecting it by failing to read the Word, neglecting it by failing to obey the Lord. And the Word picture is like a ship going toward the harbor, and there's one place at the harbor where the ship can land safely, all the rest of the place is rocky. And the reason they had a lighthouse on the shore was to direct that ship into that shoreline where he could ground, where he could be grounded safely and could unload. But if he drifted beyond that, he could crash on the rocks. 
And that's what this scripture is referring to. How shall we escape crashing on the rocks if we neglect this great salvation? Now again, that's not talking about Christians being lost and going to hell. It's talking about a wasted life. You know the song that Tommy and Linda sing to us, Wasted Years. That's what it's talking about. If we fail to keep our eye on the lighthouse, and Brother Lloyd sings that in the quartet, the lighthouse, all around us say, tear that old lighthouse down. We don't need it anymore. The big ships don't sail this way anymore. Well, that's not true. We still need that lighthouse. And Jesus is the lighthouse. And we need to keep our eyes on him. And it helps to keep our eyes on him by reading the word, by attending church, by being involved in the work of the Lord. How shall we escape drifting on the rocks and a wasted life if we neglect, neglect, neglect this great salvation? A person who's never had that salvation can't neglect it. You and I who have that salvation can neglect it. So the warning here is to believers, lest we neglect so great salvation. Then beginning in verse 5, the purpose of man. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the word, the world to come, whereof we speak? But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man, that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. So what he's saying here is that man was put under Christ. God didn't say to the angels, I'm putting you above other angels. Even Michael and Gabriel, the only two angels whose names are mentioned, are not said to be above the other angels. They are said to be special ministers to God's people. But when it comes to man, it says God has put us under Christ. Now, beginning in verse 9, the purpose of Jesus. We have not yet seen all things put under Jesus, but we see Jesus. And he says four things about Jesus, who was made a little more than the angels for suffering of death. He was crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. You think of those four things it says about Jesus. Number one, he was made a little lower than the angels while he was here. That doesn't mean that in eternity he's a little lower than the angels, but while he was here. Now what, how was he made a little lower than the angels? Well, the angels can be many different places. And after Jesus' resurrection, he was here, there, everywhere, and he could pass through closed doors. But while he was here in the flesh, he was limited in a similar way to we're limited. Though he knew all things and was the God of all the world, 
he purposely limited himself. And so this scripture says he was made, he was made a little lower than the angels because he wasn't originally a little lower than the angels. He was way above the angels. To which angel did God ever say, sit here till I make all your enemies your footstool? But he said that to Jesus. Jesus is not a created being like the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses would think. Jesus was the Godhead, God the Father. We could not commit. That's the reason the scripture says, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would never lead a person to do that. Not only that kind of sin, but all sin. And so Jesus came to destroy the power of death and the power of the devil. And then there's something else. Look in verse 16, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, that is, he became human. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So you think of the reason Jesus came. The reason for Jesus, he was a captain of our salvation. Number two, in verse 14, he defeated the power of the devil. And again in verses 17 to 18, he became a sympathetic priest so that he is able to secure them that are tempted. Have you ever been tempted? You're not alone when you're tempted. He is with you. And he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Sometimes we say, well, the devil made me do that. Well, you can blame it on the devil. Most of the time when we sin, it's because of our Adamic flesh. And we have not depended upon the Lord. Because Jesus came to put to an end the power of the devil. He doesn't have to have power in our lives. Sin shall no more have power or dominion over you. You're not under the law, but under grace. And so this scripture says that when you're tempted, he was tempted in all points like we're tempted and yet without sin. That's a remarkable truth. So you think of why Jesus came. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came that he might be a sympathetic priest, high priest to all of us who go through valleys of temptation. Lonely, I'm not lonely. Jesus is my friend. I feel a peace in knowing my Savior stands between. He stands to guard me from danger when human help is not there. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Well, those are wonderful truths. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus, made a little lower than the angels, came to destroy the power of the devil, and to be a sympathetic high priest to us as we walk through valleys and we have temptations. 
And even when we're tempted to put off Christ and to not trust him as Savior, Jesus is right there to beckon us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him. We pray that somebody here tonight who is without Christ will come to Jesus. That every one of us will learn to love you and trust you more and more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What are we singing? 157, Jesus paid it all. 157, Jesus paid it all. Let's stand as we sing. 157, I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Let's sing that. And if God has spoken to you about any matter, maybe you'd like to come and kneel at the altar, bring a request to the Lord. If you're lost, you've never been saved, I urge you to come to Christ tonight. Trust Him as your Savior. While we begin to sing, who will come?